0: How long you gonna be in this wheelchair?
1: I don't know, like a month. That rots. Yeah, try it from where I'm sitting.
0: From where you're sitting, I'd say it's pretty great. I'm the one pushing you. This'll cheer you up. The feeding of the five thousand, and it's gonna be awesome.
1: Where is everybody?
0: Maybe we're early. What
1: time did we sell the tickets? How's it look?
0: Quiet. Yeah. Great. Hey, excuse me. uh, Feeding of the five. uh, Breathtaking. Wait, it wasn't today then? That Jesus guy spoke for so long, they ran out of food. Really? In the whole arena, there was like two hot dogs and maybe five buns left. So that Jesus guy said, go look over in the drum kit. So they look in the drum kit. Next thing you know.
1: Next thing you know what? Oh, that was it. What was it? What was it?
0: You know, the the feeding of the five thousand. He
1: fed five thousand people with two hot dog buns and three hot dogs. I'm Is that surprised what he said? at
0: how people are caught off guard by that. I mean, it's right there on the sign.
1: You didn't get tickets, did you?
0: I can't believe Fred's getting married. Are we going in the back door? Uh, it wouldn't be too much of a pain to get Professor X here into the church, back to the car, and then here to the hall.
1: I'm sorry. Forgive me for being a burden on you.
0: What day was the wedding?
1: Wait, hold on a sec, is the door locked?
0: Look, I swear the wedding is today. Let's ask this guy. Hey, excuse me. Is this where the poor Murphy wedding is? No, not today. It's not today? It was wild. Get this, they ran out of wine. Yeah. Yeah, and? So this one lady goes up to this guy. It was her son, I think and says they need more wine. Was it canceled? We think he's gonna make a run to get more wine. The wine library is right across the street. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. That one bottle served 500 people and it never ran out.
1: Another miracle and we missed it again. What is with this
0: stucco? Whatever, who wears a leather jacket to a wedding anyway?
1: Ow, my foot and my knee, be careful, come on.
0: Relax, it's just a sprain.
1: Private party, sorry guys. Fantastic.
0: Perfect. Come on, this place is half empty. How about the upper room? How do you know about the upper room? Well... Doesn't matter. Jesus and his 12 men are upstairs, so you know what? 11. I thought there were 12. Now nah, one guy left. Was it the food? Does that guy look familiar to you? Yeah. A little bit.
1: Did you say Jesus? No. Listen, we've been like this close to Jesus, and this is like the third time in a few days. Jesus who?
0: Lady, come on. They're gone. What? Jesus has left the building. That's perfect.
1: We're closed.
0: Closed, now what? Oh, Jesus Jesus is going to rise from the dead tomorrow? Guys, guys, found yesterday's paper. Jesus is going to rise from the dead today. What? Today. Today. Today? Yes.
1: The King okay. of the Jews is buried here. This is the one.
0: This is it, guys. This is <laughs> the
1: one. I gotta be honest. I'm a little nervous. Yeah. Get ready for this, guys. Right, this is gonna be cool. We'll go. Jesus! You gotta be kidding me. Is he in there? Hello? Check in the back. Is he in there? Hello? Oh, come on. No. Are you serious? What day was that? Was that newspaper? Of course. It was Saturday. The day after Saturday is Sunday. Today's
0: Monday. It's a three days. That's Saturday,
1: Sunday, Monday. No, oh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. No, no, no. Uh-uh. No. You guys are no. I'm what right, you're
0: wrong. We're
1: wrong, he's not in there could be coming the back. Single, he could be coming back. The single most important event in the history of mankind, and we missed it by a day. Oh, and here's this guy again. Hi, how are you? You guys. Yeah.
0: Wait until you hear this uh, one. I Gosh. can't wait. So, so, so they finish at the mount. Right, yeah, yeah. They're all coming uh, down. Don't wait. I'll wait in. here.
2: Well, happy Easter. Good to see everybody out here this morning. My name is Clay. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, if today is your first uh, time with us, we're just really excited that you're here this morning. And if you've got a couple minutes after the service, I'll be hanging out up front. Uh, feel free to come on up and uh, say hi. I'd love to meet you and uh, just find, a little, find out a little bit about you and tell you a little bit more about what Renaissance is and, and what's going on here. So uh, when I was growing up, uh, we had a lot of fun on uh, Easter, and I have a lot of fun memories looking back at Easter from when I was a child. Uh, my younger brother and I and my mom, we'd get together, we'd uh, die Easter eggs, and if you're from my uh, generation, you remember sort of this vinegar-based dye, and I i don't know, I just have this, you know, the smells of Easter was mostly the vinegar for me, um, and that was pretty nice. It was a lot of fun, we'd do that, and then my parents would hide the Easter eggs all throughout the house, and we'd go on this Easter egg hunt, and the highlight of the Easter egg hunt was finding the Easter basket, and, and you know those Easter baskets, they would have this... Uh, like cellophane green plasticky kind of grass that was in it, I think they still use that today. Same stuff, I mean, it's actually the stuff from 50 years ago is the way that they, uh, you know, it lasts forever in a day. Um, And the high point of the Easter basket was the chocolate Easter bunny. And it wasn't just a chocolate Easter bunny, it was a solid chocolate Easter bunny because my mom would do it right. None of those hollow things for us. And uh, mom, if you're watching this on video, thank you that uh, that we had solid chocolate Easter bunnies at that point. So I've got these good memories of Easter, you know, family and bunnies and chocolate Easter eggs and chocolate rabbits and that sort of thing. But Jesus is actually completely missing from my memories of Easter growing up. I grew up in a home where uh, we really had no religious uh, you know, experience, no religion whatsoever in my home. So Jesus was not present at all for Easter for me. I couldn't even really tell you the basic outline of the Easter story. Now, hopefully by now I've got it somewhat figured out. I've been a pastor for a few years, and so kind of got that figured out. But for me, Easter really wasn't, uh, Jesus really wasn't at all in the picture of Easter. And yet... His resurrection is clearly the, the central aspect of Easter. And what I want to do this morning is take a little bit of time, step back, and go back 2,000 years ago to that first Easter morning and take a look at one of the accounts of Jesus' resurrection. In the New Testament, we've got four different accounts of Jesus' resurrection written by four different men whom we know as Matthew, Mark, Mark, Luke and John, and each of them wrote a biography of Jesus, and in those biographies, they each wrote something about Jesus' resurrection, and I want us to look at Luke's account of Jesus' resurrection, because there's a couple of things in here that, to me, they're pretty amazing, uh, what was going on, and I want to share them with you this morning. So Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 1, says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. They found the stone, the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you he was still with you in Galilee? The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? And then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. I've probably read this story several dozen times in the Gospel of Luke, and if you put all four of the stories together, easily, I've read the story of Jesus' resurrection a hundred times or or, or more. And yet, recently, as I was reading uh, Luke's account here uh, for, you know, again, the second, third, fourth dozen time, something struck me that I'd seen before, but it had never really registered registered in my mind. And that's in verse one. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. What were the women doing, taking spices to the tomb? They're not going to like do some cooking show, you know, at the tomb. They're taking these spices because they're going to embalm Jesus. The women who were followers of Jesus, who believed in him, went to the tomb expecting to find Jesus a dead body. And that just blew me as a, uh, away as I was thinking about it. They weren't expecting Jesus to be alive. They were expecting him to be death. They were expecting death, but ultimately they found life. But imagine for a minute, let's just do a little thought experiment. Imagine for a minute if they had come to the tomb and had found a dead body. They had found Jesus still in the grave, what would have been like for them if Jesus had still been dead? They would have had a lot of great memories. You know, they would have remembered Jesus walking on the water. They would have remembered the feeding of the 5,000. They would have remembered the wedding at Cana where he turned water into wine and so on and so on. If they had had Facebook back then, they could have had Throwback Thursday and, you know, reminisced about who it was, you know, selfies with Jesus, hashtag me and JC. You know, I don't know what they would... (laughs) you know, what they would have done with it. They would have had a lot of great memories and, you know, remember when we did this and it would have been nice. And they would have had his, his teaching, you know, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the story of the prodigal son, They would have had some of the more cryptic and difficult sayings to understand, and they would have spent time trying to figure those out and talking about them. Remember when Jesus said this, and man, that one has really convicted me, and I need to live my life differently in light of what Jesus said. And then they would have had his example. They would have had his example of caring for the poor, of helping the needy, of encouraging those who are discouraged. I mean, if there's anybody... In the history of the world who practiced what he preached, it was Jesus. And so they would have had that example and the inspiration. And I think it would have inspired them and encouraged them and challenged them to live their lives differently in light of the fact that they had been with Jesus and had seen the way that he had loved people and seen the humility, seen his servant heart, seen the great things that he has done. He had done. And I think that would have made a difference in their lives. But if we extend that thought experiment just a little bit further and ask ourselves, okay, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, that's what it might have been like for them in the first century. What would it be like for us in the 21st century, 2,000 years later, thousands of miles halfway around the world, what would it be like for us if Jesus hadn't actually risen from the dead? We'd have a pretty good religion. We'd have all the commands, all the teaching, all the inspiration that Jesus had given. We'd have all those great stories that he had told. We'd have the record of the things that he'd done. We'd have the example that he had of how to live a good life, and we'd be inspired by his example to follow that life. We'd have the ultimate example of him dying on a cross, sacrificing himself for us, And I think that would inspire us to live self-sacrificial lives for the benefit of other people. In short, what we would have is the Christianity that has been practiced by millions and millions of people all over the world for the past 2,000 years or so. And that's done a lot of good. Hospitals have have been built in Jesus' name. Poor people have been fed in Jesus' name. People have been healed of diseases in Jesus' name. Service has been done in Jesus' name. People have been encouraged in Jesus' name. Lives have been changed. Orphans have been loved. And the world is unquestionably better off because millions and millions of people down through the ages have followed Jesus' example and they followed his teaching. But as good as that is, and it's absolutely good, that people are following Jesus' teaching. As good as that is, something is missing from that. Because a Christianity that's based simply on Jesus' example and simply on his teaching, ends up becoming a rules-based religion that instead of setting people free, it can ultimately lead to slavery and guilt and frustration because we realize that as hard as we try, we can't live up to Jesus' example. He was perfect. I'm not. I can't do everything that he did. I can't live up to all of the commands and all of the inspirational things that he told us to do. I just don't have what it takes and so i end up with this guilt-inducing frustration producing religion and yes society's off a society is better off by that but something is missing from that and fortunately we've got more than just jesus example and more than just his teaching on that first easter morning when jesus early followers went to the tomb They didn't find a dead body. They found that he had risen from the grave. And I love what the angel said when the the, uh, women came to them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember, he told you while he was still in Galilee The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day and raised again. And then they remembered what he had said. They came looking for death, and they ultimately found life. Jesus had risen from the grave just as he said, and what's amazing about that is he predicted, he said, I am going to die, and I am going to rise again. And then he pulled it off. And now I realize... There are some of you here this morning who are saying, I'm not so sure that I buy that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Fair enough. I don't expect you to be convinced just because I'm telling you that I believe that that's true. If you want to take some time afterwards, either this morning or some other time, talk about it. I would love to spend some time talking with you about why I believe it is more reasonable to believe that Jesus rose from the dead than that he didn't. I can point you to some resources, some people who can be helpful to you. So if you're interested in that, Let me know afterwards, and I'd love to set up a time to talk to you about that. But for this morning, let me just ask you, even if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, temporarily suspend your disbelief and ask yourself, what would it have been like if Jesus actually did rise from the dead? Because if Jesus not only predicted his death and predicted his resurrection, if he not only predicted it, but he actually pulled it off, then the consequences of that are just staggering. And I wanna take a look at a little bit Of of some of those consequences. All sorts of people make promises. We all make promises and hopefully most of the time when we make promises we have every intention of keeping those promises. But sometimes we're not able to keep those promises. We want to but circumstances change and we're not actually able to keep the promises that we fully intended to keep. And then other times We actually don't intend to keep the promises. We make a promise in order to get somebody off of our back, maybe to get ourselves out of a difficult situation, or maybe we start out actually intending to keep the promise, but then later on we decide that we don't want to do it. If you're going to trust somebody who's making a promise, you have to believe that they're both willing to do what they've said they're going to do and that they're able to actually uh, succeed at pulling off what they've said that they are going to promise. And that's one of the consequences of Jesus' resurrection. Because we see in his crucifixion, in his death, that he cares about us, that he loves us, that he has our best interest in heart. So when he makes a promise, we know that his heart is for us and he wants to do what he's said he's going to do. And then if he can pull off his resurrection, there's nothing that he can't do. We were singing earlier, no sin, no shame, no death, no pain can separate us from the love of God. If Jesus predicted his own death and his own resurrection, and if he pulled those off, then he can do anything. And so when he makes a promise, we can be 100% sure that he is absolutely going to fulfill that promise. And that means that Christianity is more than just an ordinary religion because we have a God who makes promises, who keeps promises, and who has the power to raise people from the dead. A few years ago, I was in the middle of an incredibly busy time in my life. I was burning the candle at both ends. I was doing everything that I thought that I should be doing. I was working hard. I was serving God to the best of my ability. And then one morning I woke up and I couldn't get out of bed. I was just lying there and and I felt like I had been crushed. I felt like I I was in this deep hole. There was darkness surrounding me and I just felt like I couldn't climb out of the darkness and I was just crying out, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do it. I don't have what it takes. And as I look back on that time, I realized that what was going on is uh, while I was doing, for the most part, all of the right things, I was trying to do them in my own strength, in my own power, in my own ability. And in a sense, my religion was in some sense crushing me because I was trying to do on my own what God never intended for me to do on my own. I don't have the strength to do what it is that God calls me to do. And as a result of that, I was crushed and it was a very, very dark time. But in the midst of that darkness, I began remembering the promises that god had made to me and ultimately his resurrection the fact that he raised jesus from the dead and that gave me confidence that gave me hope that he could lift me out of this darkness and so i started thinking about the promises that god had made the promises that he didn't say you're never going to go through suffering he didn't say you're never going to go through dark times in fact jesus himself suffered jesus himself went through dark times. The night before he was crucified, he said, Father, I don't want to go to the cross. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. So thinking about that, realizing that Jesus did not want to die because he didn't want to go through that suffering, but he was willing to do it because he knew that it was God's plan. That gave me hope that my Lord and Savior knew what it was like for me to be going through that darkness. So he didn't promise that I wasn't gonna go through darkness. What he did promise was, I'm gonna be with you in the midst of that darkness, and in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering, and so many other promises. And as I focused on, as I reflected on, as I meditated on those promises, slowly the darkness began to lift, and I saw, yet again, what I already knew, and that was that God never expected me to do what he had called me to do. He never expected me to do it on my own, but I needed to do it in daily, moment by moment, reliance and dependence on him. And as I saw that, as I learned that yet again, I felt the darkness lifting. I felt a new hope, a new joy, and a new ability to do what God had called me to do, not because I was able to, but because he was able and because he was powerful. And I think of the, the Apostle Paul. Paul was one of the uh, leaders of the early Christian church, and he wrote a number of letters uh, that we have recorded for us in the New Testament. Some uh, we call Romans or Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians because each of those was written to Christians in a different city uh, throughout Asia Minor and one that he wrote to Christians in the city of Ephesus. Near the beginning of that letter, he talks about how he prays for them. And this prayer is such an encouragement, such a challenge, and for me, such a blessing. I just want to share a couple of verses with you from that prayer. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. I can't love the unlovable. And if I try, it's gonna crush me. I can't love the unlovable, but Jesus can. I can't forgive the unforgivable. And if I try, it's gonna crush me, but Jesus can. And he can enable me to love the unlovable. He can enable me to forgive the unforgivable. He can enable me to solve the unsolvable, not because I have it in and of myself, but because he is powerful and because that same power that raised Jesus from the dead works in me if I'm looking to him, if I'm trusting in him, if I'm relying on him on a day-to-day basis. And so when he calls me to do that which I am unable to do in and of myself, if I look to him and say, Lord, I don't have what it takes, but you do, and I know that you've promised that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to me if I rely on you. If I trust in him, then he can enable me to do what I'm unable to do Otherwise, if I simply rely on myself. Christianity, Christianity without the resurrection is kind of like a hollow chocolate Easter bunny. You pick it up, you look at it, it looks good on the outside, but when you bite into it, you're unbelievably disappointed because something is missing. Yes, the chocolate shell is nice. Yes, the example is good. Yes, the precepts of Christianity are good. They are absolutely necessary, but they're not sufficient. Without the resurrection, Christianity is in some sense powerless because I, in and of myself, don't have the power to do what God has called me to do. But with the resurrection, with the recognition that God will enable me to do what he has called me to do, the world can be changed. My life can be changed. And God will do some pretty amazing things. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we'd still have a religion. We'd still have a form of Christianity. But instead of bringing life and hope and freedom, that religion would bring guilt and frustration and it'd bring death. If you watch the news these days, if you read some of the different news magazines, you know that starting about mid-March, there are always all these specials about Jesus, about Easter, something about Christianity, something about the New Testament. And they're always trying to have a different angle on that. And uh, from time to time... They ask a scholar named Daryl Bach, who's a New Testament scholar. He was one of my professors when I was uh, in graduate school. They ask him to comment on these things, and they're always coming up with different stuff. And, and I love Daryl because he's always able to, to cut through all of the hype and, and, and all of the issues that are going on with that, and he's able to really hit the heart of the matter. And some years ago, he wrote something about the centrality of the resurrection to Christianity. And I love what he says. He says, to be something other than a human ethical or philosophical system, the Christian faith must be inextricably tied to resurrection. Without resurrection, Christianity is just another human approach to reach God. It's emptied of its transforming power and hope. It's a mere shell. It's not worth the energy one devotes to it. Without a resurrected Jesus, Christianity has nothing special to offer the world for a dead savior is no savior at all. The world is full of exemplary people, but a resurrected savior who cares and who fulfills God's promises is the unique hope that the Christian faith offers to the world. To believe in Christ is to believe not merely in his example, but in the power of his resurrection, to grant new life. Because Jesus rose from the dead, the guilty, rather than being crushed, The guilty can find forgiveness. The frustrated can find freedom. The hurting can find compassion. The weak can find strength. The despairing can find hope. And ultimately, the dead can find life because Jesus himself rose from the dead. When they first heard the report that Jesus' tomb was empty, the women didn't believe it. The disciples didn't believe it. So they went to the tomb, and they went to check it out and see for themselves. If you're not sure that Jesus rose from the dead, check it out. Ask questions. Don't just accept it because I say it's true. Don't just accept it because somebody else says that it's true. Ask yourself some questions. Examine it with an open mind. And again, if I can be of help to you, let me know. I'd love to point you in the direction of some good resources that can help you with that. But if you're already a follower of Jesus, if you already believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then let me encourage you to take some time to reflect on the consequences, on the results of the centrality of the resurrection. If I believe that Jesus really predicted his own death and resurrection, if I believe that he actually Pulled it off. How is that going to affect my life on a day to day basis? Am I living in light of the fact that Jesus is alive, or am I living as if He were still dead? It took Jesus' followers some time to believe that He had risen from the dead, and it took them some time after that. If you continue to read the account in Luke's gospel or elsewhere, it took them some time after they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. It took them some time to understand the ramifications of that for their lives and for ours. And some of them, like Peter and like Paul and like James, wrote about it, wrote letters to different Christians, and we have those preserved for us in the New Testament where they talk to us about the ramifications of the resurrection and the difference that the fact that Jesus rose from the dead can make in our lives. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, let me encourage you to take the time this week and really every week to reflect on Jesus' resurrection and how believing that can make a difference in your life. When we look to Jesus, not just as an example and not just as a great teacher, but when we look to him as our risen savior, as the God of the universe who came to earth who lived, who suffered, who died, who predicted that he was gonna die and that he was gonna rise again. When we look to him and realize that he has risen from the dead, just as he said, everything changes. Everything changes. And that's why I, that's why we at Renaissance believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. The band's going to come back out now and uh, we're going to have one last song. They're going to lead us in one last song that focuses on Jesus' resurrection and the power of his resurrection and the freedom and the joy and the benefit that we can have because Jesus has risen from the dead. And as they're coming out, I just want to pray for us for a moment here. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you not only gave us an inspiring example. I thank you that you not only gave us some incredible teaching. I thank you that you not only predicted your death and your resurrection, but that you actually pulled it off. I thank you for the power that worked in you to raise you from the dead and that that same power can work in us. And I pray that as we leave here today, that we would not only follow your example, That we would not only follow your teaching, but we would do that, that we would do that not relying on our own strength, but ultimately looking to you to enable us to do what we would otherwise be unable to do ourselves. And I thank you and I praise you that you are that kind of a God who loved us enough to give your life for us and that you're powerful enough that you were raised from the dead. And I pray in your name, Jesus, amen.